All right, Second Chronicles chapter 6 this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 6. And we're going to read a lengthy passage of scripture, but it's all a prayer. It's a prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And I don't know how we would break it up without doing harm to it. So we're going to read it all. And I think it'll speak to our hearts. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 1. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple. But your son, who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have put the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with the children of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk in my law as you have walked before me. And now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple day and night toward the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplications of your servants and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. 
When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk. And send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, what, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive. And give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of the sons of men. That they may fear you, to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray in this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. And do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to you toward this city which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they take them captive to a land far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent. And make supplication to you in the land of their captivity. Saying we have sinned. We have done wrong and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart. And with all their soul in the land of their captivity. Where they have been carried captive. And pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers the city which you have chosen, and toward the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open, and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful prayer of King Solomon. And I pray as we make some application from it today that Lord, first of all, you'll fill me with your spirit and help me to be clear and accurate and practical in my speaking today. I pray that I would say nothing I ought not to and boldly say what I should. Uh, just help me today, I pray. And then I pray, Lord, for all those who are here listening. May we be filled with the spirit even, even to listen. And I pray, Father, today uh, that you would just speak to all of us and teach us. Guide this time, Lord, we give it to you. This is, this is your time. It's your word. It's your time. We pray you'd work in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned in a blog posting uh, just the other day a song by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Remember that particular song? Our house is a very, very fine house. Has anybody ever read all of the lyrics to that particular song? If you've read all the lyrics to that particular song, you might change it to, our song is a very, very dumb song, because it doesn't make any sense at all. But for some reason, that particular line has been going through my head as I've thought about this, this wonderful building project. And as I walked in here and I saw how wonderful it has turned out, I couldn't help but that that line went through my head. Our house is a very, very fine house. And who would deny that God has blessed? I mean, some of you haven't seen what it was before you came in here. And so you might not notice this that much of a difference. And it's not a whole lot of a difference. But nonetheless, I think we would all agree God has blessed. 
In our text, we read Solomon's prayer of dedication at the temple in Jerusalem. And as we read that prayer, we couldn't help but notice that Solomon had a wonderful grasp on some things. He had the grasp on the key fact that God didn't live in that temple. Did you notice that? He was very, very clear that the temple was a building and that God lived in heaven. He was very, very clear that no, no temple, no building could, could, could hold God. He said even the world itself couldn't contain God. And Stephen, over in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen preached his great sermon there, right before he was stoned to death, he said something very similar. He said, the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands. And so it's good for us to see that Solomon had a grasp of that key point. But I think also as we read his prayer, we see pretty much there that he thought the building was an important place. Did you catch that? He certainly thought it was significant. He thought it was uh, something of, of value. And so I would like to just kind of use his prayer this morning as a launch pad and go off and talk about kind of how it might apply to us today. And I want us to talk just briefly this morning about four phrases which... Some of it you'll, you, you'll see came out of that, and some of it we'll look at a couple of other verses. But four different phrases that I want us to talk about as we think about this this morning. Number one, my house. My house. We'll talk about that phrase. Number two, my magnificent house. Those of you who have been here very long know that's one of my favorite King James words. My magnificent house. Number three, my prayer-filled house. And number four, my reaching house. So let's look at those four things just briefly this morning. First of all, my house. My house. You know, that particular phrase appears in the Bible 17 times, referring to God's house. My house, he called it. A similar phrase, the house of God, occurs 85 times in our Bibles. Again, referring to God's house, the house of God. And another phrase, the house of the Lord, occurs 211 times in our Bible. In our Leadership Training Institute on Wednesday nights, recently we talked about some of the principles of hermeneutics, and one of the principles we talked about was the repetition principle of hermeneutics. And, and all that really means, and we can, we can boil that down to a very simple definition, if God repeats himself, there's meaning to that. If God says something over and over again, he says it twice, that's significant. He says it three times, it's even more significant. And so I suggest to you this morning that if he said something 314 times, there's something there that he's trying to say to us. And this concept that it is... My house, the house of God, the house of the Lord, is mentioned 314 times. At least if I added that correctly, we'll ask our mathematician can check me on that. But I think that added up to 314 times. And it's vital that we understand that in the vast majority of those cases, and maybe even in all of those cases, the words there are referring to the temple in Jerusalem, not to a local church building such as we have here today. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, there's really not any local church building. The church is not a building. The church, that word church is the, the word ecclesia. It means a called out assembly, a gathered out assembly. It's the people. It's the people. It's not a building at all. And based on that realization, we don't need this building, do we? It's nice. Nice new seats, nice carpet. It's nice. We don't need this building to be a church. As long as we're still here, God could burn this building down tomorrow. And Friendship Bible Church would still exist. Right? Because the church is the people. We need to understand that. The church is you. The church is made up of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are gathered together worshiping the Lord. It's not the building. All over the world today, there are people gathered together worshiping. And lots of them are not gathered together in a building. We always have to go back and, 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 and beat on that because 
We get confused about that, don't we? We tend to call this structure the church. I do it. I call this the church. And I have to smack myself every time I do it. It's not. It's the church building, but it's not the church. We are the church. However, with that being said, I believe the building's important. I believe Solomon, in his prayer of dedication, was making it plain that he thought the building was important. The building is something God uses. The building is something that should honor God. And I think it's clear when we think about the way God referred to it. He called it my house. My house. The fact that he claims ownership of it. The very fact that he claimed it is his own tells us he placed great importance on it. He said in First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 6, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. My house. My house. My courts. The temple was not Solomon's. The temple was not Israel's. It was God's. It was God's. And by application, may I say that this simple little church building, it's not mine, neither is it yours. It's God's. It must be always God's. David understood that even before the project started, as he was preparing, he said this in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 1. He said, furthermore, uh, furthermore, King David said to all of the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because... The temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Oh, it's important that we understand that. My house. And so I would suggest this morning we need to covenant together as a church. Brothers and sisters, we need to rejoice in God's blessing that we have this nice newly remodeled building. But we need to covenant together as a church that we will never forget. Every one of these chairs, this carpet, every brush stroke of paint, every piece of trim, every piece of of, uh, what is that up there? Drywall. Every piece, everything that was done in this place, every bit, every stick is God's and not ours. And we need to covenant together that we will keep it that way and never forget that. My house. Second phrase. My magnificent house. I love that word. Of course, you have to be reading a King James Bible to even see that word. And every other Bible, that word has been brought up to a more modern language. First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse number 5 says, The house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries. If you're looking at the New King James or any other, that'll be brought up to say something like it needs to be exceedingly magnificent. Which, that's cool too. That's good. That, that, that makes sense. But isn't that word magnificent cool? It's just a good word. Matter of fact, if you look it up, it's not even in the dictionary. I, it, it's, just, it's just a cool word. Exceeding magnificent. And it just says to me something about what God's house ought to be. It ought to be spectacular. It ought to be great. It ought to be magnificent. It ought to be magnificent. Now, we dare not go too far with that. We could go off the deep end with that. And yet the fact is, good enough is not good enough when it comes to the things of God. It needs to be magnificent. It needs to be great. It needs to be wonderful. There's no place for mediocrity in our service for God. And as we read these scriptures, especially that one, First Chronicles 22, number 5, we can't help but believe the house of God needs to be the very best we can make it. And there's some reasons for that, isn't there not? I mean, the house of God points to him. How can we do that with mediocrity? The house of God ought to remind us of him. The house of God ought to draw us to him. And so thank the Lord that we have a building that has been brought up to date a little bit and is closer to being magnificent. As I stand and look out upon you today, I think it looks pretty magnificent that we need to covenant together, just as we covenant together to keep it his house. 
we need to covenant together to keep it always something that would honor and glorify God. Magnifical house. Number three, the third phrase I want to share with you this morning is my prayer-filled house. I read to you from Second Chronicles this morning, but actually my text that I, if I have a text this morning, is Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7, where, where God said, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. My prayer-filled house. Some years, many years after Isaiah penned those words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus quoted them back. And of course, you remember he was in the temple, Matthew chapter 21, and he was... Uh, not happy. And he was cleansing the temple. He was driving out those who had been misusing the temple. We read about that in Matthew chapter 21 verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. My prayer filled house. Oh, how we must ensure that this house is always a house of prayer. Always a house of prayer. You know, prayer was vital in the growth of the early church. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 40, uh, for, verse number 42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Prayer was vital in the growth of the early church. It was the power of prayer that when the enemy rose up against the early church, delivered. You remember in Acts chapter 12 when Herod took James and killed him with a sword and then he threw Peter into prison. And you remember what the response of the church was. Uh, Peter, therefore, kept in prison, Acts chapter 12 and verse number 5. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church, resulting in a miraculous prison break, one of the more fun stories to read in the Bible. He escaped prison, and he came to the house of Mary, verse number 12, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And so it was the power of prayer that when the enemies of God rose against the church, protected and delivered. It was the power of prayer that shook the early church and can shake Friendship Bible Church yet again in our day. It was the power of prayer that filled them with the Holy Spirit. It was the power of prayer that enabled them to speak the word of God with boldness. It was the power of prayer that enabled them to reach their world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Oh, we need to make sure this house never ceases to be a house of prayer. This coming Wednesday night, I'm thinking about changing a format of our, of our midweek prayer meeting just a little bit. I'm thinking about having a prayer walk this Wednesday evening. Usually a prayer walk would be through our community. But I'm thinking this Wednesday, we may just do a prayer walk through this building. Pray in every room and make sure every room we ask God to make sure it remains always a house we made mention of the fact a while ago of how some, so many folks had worked so hard and accomplished so much to make this, this building the way it is today. And there's no question that that's the case. I would in no way ever minimize the efforts of any. But I don't want to maximize them either. I don't want to overemphasize them because here's a, here's a key fact. God does these things. And God does these things 
in response to prayer. Prayer. Our Wednesday evening prayer meeting is the power source for everything that is accomplished in this place. And I am convinced, I've said this before, I'm convinced that everything that takes place here, every victory that is won, every soul that is saved, is at least in part because there's a handful of people that gathers here on Wednesday night and prays. Charles Spurgeon used to call that his, his furnace in his church. They're a little group that would gather together and pray. You know, we can go door to door in Randolph, but nothing will be accomplished if people don't pray. We can give and give and give to the, to the ends of the earth campaign, but nothing will be accomplished if we do not pray. I can study myself blue in the face and stand up here and preach until drool runs down my face. And it won't mean a thing if God's people are not praying. VBS workers can prepare and study and, and make their lessons excellent. The Sunday school teachers can do the same. Junior church workers can do the same. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we don't pray. And more to the point, as beautiful as this house is, it, is, it would have been nothing were it not for the prayers of God's people. And so let us covenant together in this way as well. Not only that we will keep it his house, not only that we will keep it his magnificent house, but also that we will keep it his prayer-filled house. Number four, number four, my reaching house, my reaching house. And I imagine you're saying, okay, now I don't understand where you're getting that one. Uh, well, I'm getting that one from the exact same verse I just quoted to you. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7 said, uh, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. Did you catch that part? For all nations. You know, God never meant the temple in Jerusalem to be some, some source of national pride. That was not its purpose. God never meant for it to become a place that was exclusive only to them. And Solomon in his prayer, did you catch how he talked about that? He said, when they come from foreign lands and worship here and pray here. It was never meant to be something that was exclusive to them. It was to be a place that was open to all nations. The place where all could come to learn of and to meet God. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. At the beginning of 2012, we unveiled our 610 plan. We haven't talked about that a whole lot lately. But it described our mission and our vision and our goals for the next five years of ministry. And part of that five-year vision mentioned in that statement included this, these couple sentences. We will maximize our ministry to Randolph, both in reaching the lost and in discipling the saint. Of course, we got that from Acts chapter 1 verse number 8, right? You should be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is Randolph. Then it went on. It said, we will remodel the existing auditorium to maximize capacity and excellence, improve seating, staging, AV technology, music technology. And so thank the Lord that we can say, check. One of those things on the 610 plan is now checked off. Hallelujah. But you know, the plan didn't stop with reaching Randolph. The plan didn't stop with this building and with this auditorium. It went on. And goals two and three talked about reaching regionally. It talked about reaching into all the world. Not just reaching Randolph. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 doesn't stop at Jerusalem either. And in Judea. And in Samaria. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so my reaching house. How many of you have visited the Stan Hewitt Hall in Akron? Anybody ever visit there? Anybody ever notice the coat of arms that's up over the door as you walk into the manor? It's written in Latin. And I don't know Latin. So I may be pronouncing this entirely incorrectly. But it says, non nobis solum. Anybody know what that means? Huh? 
You know what that means? You know Latin, Paul? Non nobis, because I'm probably not pronouncing it right, so you can't possibly know what it says. Here's what it means. It means not only for us alone. Not only for us alone. And apparently the Cyberling family wanted that building to benefit not just them, but all who would come, all who would visit, others, not just them. God said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Not only my house, not only my magnificent house, not only my reaching, my prayer-filled house, but my reaching house. A house that is used to reach as far into the world as is possible. You want to know God's heart on that matter? Jesus kind of gives us a glimpse into his heart on that matter in a parable that he told in Luke chapter 14. Let me just read it to you. It's a short one. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. He said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Did you catch that part? The master said, compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That's his heart. That's his heart. This house filled for his glory, a reaching house. A house that reaches Randolph, a house that reaches Portage County, a house that reaches Ohio, a house that reaches the United States, a house that reaches to the uttermost parts of the earth. We must reach Randolph one door at a time. We must also reach to the ends of the earth. And so let us also covenant together this morning that this house will not simply be ours alone. Can we do that? That this house, God's house, will be a house of prayer for all nations. That we will not neglect those to the uttermost parts of the earth. My house, my magnificent house, my prayer-filled house, my reaching In the scripture that we used as our launch pad for today's message, we saw Solomon dedicating the temple and we we listened as he prayed a wonderful prayer of dedication. If we had continued reading, we would have heard God's reply. God replied in 1 Kings chapter 9, it says it it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer. And your supplication that you have made before me, I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Hallelujah. But God didn't stop there. He went on. He went on and he said, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted 
Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. He heard his prayer, and then he gave a warning. And so let us hear the warning this morning. Let us keep this place, God helping us as his house, his magnificent house, his prayer-filled house, his reaching house. And let us never grow slack in any of those things. Would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute this morning, please? Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. I, I want to just ask a couple of questions today. I want to first of all speak to those who are the members of Friendship Bible Church. And I just want to ask you this question. How many of you this morning would covenant with me? That God helping us, we will do everything we can to keep this his house, his magnificent house, his prayer-filled house, his reaching house. How many of you this morning, by uplifting your hands, would say, I will do that. I will covenant with you this morning. Just keep them up for a minute. Amen. 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 You can put them down. You know, I don't normally do this. And as a matter of fact, I don't remember a time in five years that I've ever done this. But I believe some things need to be sealed. I think some things need to be made public. And so I'm going to ask in just a moment when we, when we have our song of invitation, I'm going to ask if you raise your hand if you'll do something for me and for God and for the rest of your brothers and sisters in this place. I'm going to ask that you'll come line this altar this morning and together we will pray and ask God to help us with that very thing. Never done that before here, but I think it's important we do it today. So in just a minute, when we sing, if you raised your hands, I'm going to ask you to step out, kneel with us here. And let's pray together about that. Let me speak just for a moment to those of you who might be visiting with us today. To those who might not understand what this is all about. You might not understand what FBC is all about. You might have walked in here this morning and wondered, what is this crazy church? What's going on there? Well, I'll tell you what's going on here. Let me tell you what we're all about here. We're about a man named Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin in Bethlehem. A man who lived a sinless life. Preached the good news of the kingdom of God and then gave his life in my place and yours. A sacrifice to pay the price for your sins and mine. My sins demanded hell. Your sins demanded hell. On him, the judgment fell. He took my penalty, your penalty. He paid my debt, your debt. And now any who will simply believe in him any who will simply call upon him, any who will simply trust that his finished work can be saved from hell and for heaven. That's the message. That's the gospel. That's what we strive to proclaim here in Randolph and to the uttermost parts of the earth. See, we've heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We want to bear the news all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And so I wonder this morning, have you heard that good news? And if you've heard it, have you acted on it? Have you called on him? Have you called on the Lord Jesus Christ? And if this morning you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, I'm not sure. If that is your answer, then you have not. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? If this morning you say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't remember that I ever did that. If that is your answer and you have not. In a moment, we're going to sing. And this will be the easiest Sunday ever, I believe, for you to walk this aisle and come and take me by the hand and say, I need that. 
And that's all one needs to do. Come and say, I, I want to know how to be saved. And we'll find somebody here who knows how to use their Bible and they will show you how you could know that you're on your way to heaven. There's going to be others this morning, I'm trusting, who are going to come and kneel up here to pray. Step out with them. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't put it off because, you know, Jesus is coming soon. 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 For those of us who know him, he's going to come in love. He's going to come in eternal blessing. And he's going to take us to heaven to be with him forever. But for those who do not, he is going to come in anger. He is going to come as your judge. And you will not survive that judgment. So if you have not trusted Christ, you come.